the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Dear friends, here is Julie Hartman. Julie Hartman was dropped into my life by either God or angels. Probably God, but angels will do. This is a true gift in my life, a gift in your life, a gift in America's life. I don't want to get too enthused. It'll sound like I'm exaggerating, but I am not. In fact, we do a great podcast together called Dennis and Julie every week for almost an hour and a half every week talking about everything in life 50 year difference and it melts away enjoy julie hello everyone and welcome to the dennis prager show as dennis just said i'm julie hartman and i am so happy to be guest hosting today we do have a podcast together called Dennis and Julie, and if you can believe it, we are into episode, what is it, Sean, 33? 32 comes out today. I started this podcast out of my college dorm room at Harvard a few months ago. We started it in February. I had five other roommates, and every time the podcast would air, I would yell in the hallway, be quiet, everyone. It's time for me to go on. We've elevated the set a bit. Now I'm in person with Dennis, but it really is a phenomenal podcast. I actually want to start off the segment today by talking to you about why I think it is so exceptional. You know, when people ask me to describe it, they really are kind of shocked to hear that it's not a news show. It's not really driven by day-to-day events or the latest woke outrage. It's really a show about life. And life is something I've been thinking a lot about, especially over the past few days. I actually turned 23 on Friday, October 14th. So those of you who knew me as the 22-year-old sit-in host now know of me as the 23-year-old sit-in host. I actually happened to share a birthday with President Eisenhower, my Salem colleague Charlie Kirk, and George Floyd, if you can believe that lineup of people. But I decided to make a decision on my 23rd birthday that I really would encourage a lot of people, especially my age, to consider making. And that is I deleted my personal Instagram. I am unfortunately contractually obligated to keep up a professional Instagram. And I sort of feel a little bit like the pot calling the kettle black by encouraging all of you to get off of social media when I still have to maintain a professional one. But we just live in this world where if I didn't maintain a professional Instagram, I really wouldn't be able to reach so many people. But I've decided that at least personally, I'm going to eliminate it. And that's because I got my Instagram on my 13th birthday 
And I think turning 23 a few days ago made me reflect and go, oh my gosh, I have had an Instagram for 10 years of my life. I don't think I am any wiser, better, more confident, stronger as a result of being on social media for a decade of my life. And I also read this study that I want to alert you to. It's by YouSwitch, which is a British site, that the average American spends 1,300 hours a year on social media. That is 56 continuous days of your year which is around 20% of the year. Now, we spend a third of our year sleeping. So on top of that, we're spending an extra 15% on social media. Almost half of the year is being eaten away by just mindless, a mindless existence. I really do believe the reason why I'm bringing this up in conjunction with Dennis and Julie is I think that what's so unique about our podcast is that we try to alert you to things like this. We try to reawaken in you the glimpse or the spark that there is so much more out there in life than what we are consuming now. We live in a culture that is deadened. So many people, as I just said, spend days, years of their lives on social media. In addition, I've been reflecting on this again because I recently had a birthday. I don't really know members of my own community I'm not a part of a kickball league or a soccer league. I don't really attend my local church. I don't know my neighbors. And what does that say about me? Or what does that say that the society that I'm a part of, that we've become so personally siloed from one another? I really have a resolution this year. I want to be more involved in my community. I want to know people. I want to start going to local religious services. I even the other day, believe it or not, attended a local AA meeting because I just so badly wanted to feel like I was a part of something. We're deadened in so many ways that we don't even process. It's not just that we're deadened in the fact that we don't participate in life. We're also deadened in the fact that we don't really reflect on life. I mentioned this on Dennis and Julie the other day, but... In college, I would like to talk to a lot of my peers about things that they would call quote-unquote Julie questions. I love asking people these types of questions. I love to say, who's your greatest role model? Or if you could have dinner with any person, dead or alive, who would it be? Or do you believe that there's an afterlife? Why do you think God created the earth this way? Why do you think he created it such that there are men and women and that there are, that there's suffering that we cannot explain, or that there are hurricanes and earthquakes, just all of it. I love to understand life, and I love asking these questions of my peers. And what I've noticed is that so many people my age don't like those kinds of conversations. Perhaps it's just the bubble that I've been a part of, but I've really tried to expand and just ask a lot of people, again, what my friends would call quote-unquote Julie questions, questions about life. And I have found a startling resignation to reflecting on why it is that we're here. People have lost sight of the fact that life is a really cool thing. There is so much out there for us to consider and to explore. Why is that? 
Why is it that we have become so deadened to these things? And so again, Dennis and Julie, we really try to awaken you to the fact that everyone is deadened. We try to talk to you about life and what makes it so interesting and so cool because those are the things that will elevate your experience. It's not the day-to-day news. Again, it's not the latest woke outrage, but it's considering life and all of its complications and all of its offerings in its entirety. So please, I encourage you to listen to Dennis and Julie, and I encourage you also to try to consider how you are living your life and how our culture has made each of us deadened. So I started off by deleting my Instagram. I'll let you know how that one goes. I have to tell you, I'm a little bit nervous about (laughs) what I'm going to do with my extra time. But I just decided I'm not going to be living my life this way anymore. You know, another thing I want to talk to you about today is the role of mythology that plays in our day-to-day politics. And I think that this goes along with how deadened we are. We are not at all aware of how many lies we are bombarded with every single day that just seem completely normal to us. Many of you probably know that California and New York recently passed laws that say that by 2035, gas-powered vehicles are not going to be sold anymore. In California also, they decided that gas-powered heaters are no longer going to be sold. That is all based on such a libel that climate change is an existential threat to our existence. Another thing that has happened that a lot of you have probably seen in the news is that President Biden has pardoned people who are federally convicted of marijuana possessions. And I believe that he gave a speech explaining why. And one of the things that he said was that he wants to rectify the wrongs of systemic racism. There is this narrative that has been peddled by the mainstream media and by the left over the past few decades that black people have been thrown in prison because of simple marijuana possession, which is just not true. They fail to recognize. You should all read an article that was just published in the Wall Street Journal by Jason Riley about marijuana. He says that actually the people that were mostly behind the push to increase sentencing for drugs in the 80s and 90s were the black caucuses in Congress. We are being bombarded by lies every day. And the sad thing is we are so deadened that we have lost the ability to react appropriately to these things. Again, what does that say about us? We have to consider how we are reacting because who we are creates the fiber of this nation. And if each of us are deadened people, then unfortunately, we are a deadened nation. I'm Julie Hartman. We'll be back. The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor pain-free studio. Fed is unstable, interest rates could go up at any moment. If you're relocating and need to buy a new home or invest in real estate, get fully underwritten and approved with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian at Sierra Pacific Mortgage before you make an offer. Their fast-track approval process will allow you to compete with cash offers, whether you're buying today, tomorrow, or a year from now. 
Even though housing prices are stabilizing or coming down, economic uncertainty, supply chain issues, and limited construction means the real estate market is limited and competitive. Go to andrewandtodd.com. That's andrewandtodd.com right now. Get fully approved today and have confidence so that when you're ready to buy, you'll have the money ready to go. Don't wait. Go to andrewandtodd.com. Lock in today's still historically low rates. Go to andrewandtodd.com. That's andrewandtodd.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Dennis Prager Show. I'm Julie Hartman, 23-year-old guest host today. As I mentioned in the last segment, I co-host a podcast with Dennis Prager, which is Dennis and Julie, you can find on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. And it is very exciting that I will be announcing right now that I am going to be launching a show of my own called Timeless with Julie Hartman. Actually, as I sit here on Dennis's set, I am looking straight behind me, or excuse me, straight in behind the camera in front of me at my own set, which will be the set of my own show, again, coming out in two weeks. So please look out for that. And you can find out more about me and my work with Dennis and the work on my own at julie-hartman.com. You know, last night... I was watching TV, which I rarely do, but there was a commercial that came up for the company Instacart, which is a food delivery service. And they recently have announced that they are making Lizzo their new ambassador for Instacart. Now, for those of you who do not know who Lizzo is, she is a singer. She's a rap pop artist, very popular among people my age, and she's quite obese, And that is not an improper thing for me to be telling you because she loves the fact that she is obese. She talks all of the time about the fact that she's obese. She wears it on her sleeve as a point of pride. And she has been on a crusade in the past few years to upend, that's one of the left's favorite words, upend the idea that being thinner is healthier for you. She says all of the time that Health magazines, for instance, are fat phobic because they are encouraging a image of thin, specifically women, that is detrimental to people's perceptions of their bodies. Now, look, we certainly have perhaps in the past lived in a culture where we see these beautiful women on the cover of magazines who are stick thin and have, you know, bulging muscles and they look like Giselles and I, just as much as anyone, can agree that that may not be realistic. But to go so far in the other direction as to say that it is unhealthy and that we should be putting fat people on the cover of health magazines because not doing so is fat phobic is just against science. I said that very deliberately. It's just against science because the left loves to talk about science, 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 trust the science, follow the science, obey the science. Well, just about any scientist will tell you that being obese is extremely bad for your health. And this made me think, you know, watching that commercial, so this, so again, it's Instacart, which is this food delivery service, they've made Lizzo their ambassador. And there's this commercial of Lizzo sitting in a bathtub, and she's ordering on the app, uh, potato chips, ice cream, burgers, all of these unhealthy foods. And then there's that, you know, logo, Instacart, buy whatever you want. And I was thinking, if you were a young person sitting and watching this, this is why 
the left is so attractive to people. The left is so attractive to people because it tells you that you can essentially do and believe whatever you want as long as it's in accordance with your truth. It made me reflect that one of the main things that the left does is it normalizes pathologies. All of us human beings, and this is something that I have really learned thanks to Dennis's Torah commentaries and the way that he talks about human nature. By the way, shameless plug for Deuteronomy, which, which I believe came out last week. It's Dennis's third Torah commentary. I haven't read it, but I've read the previous two. And if it's anything like the previous two, it's exceptional. So please order it. But what Dennis's Torah commentary has taught me is that human beings have malignant inclinations. We all have urges to do things that are not healthy. All of us want to sit on the couch and eat junk food. Many of us would... (laughs) Sean is pumping his fist in the air. I love it. We should really get a camera on Sean one of these days. Everyone wants to sit on the couch and eat junk food. Everyone has an inclination towards chaos. Think about the protests that we saw in the summer of 2020. People running into the street, throwing things in the air. People even in those protests took off their clothes. We, we have an impulse towards anarchy within us. And yet the task of parenting, the task of leadership, and indeed the task of civilization writ large is to try to control those impulses within you. It's to tell you, look, Again, we may all want to eat junk food and be able to say that that's healthy and be praised for doing so, but that's just not in accordance with the way the world works, and that is not a healthy road for us to be going down. But in the world of the left, the left tells you, no, you can live your truth. If that is true to you, if that's what you want to do, that's totally fine. It's the rest of the world that's the problem. This is a very Rousseauian idea. Rousseau was a Genevan philosopher, as I'm sure many of you know, in the 18th century. And in his discourses, he put forth the, at the time, radical proposition that has now unfortunately taken hold, that human beings are born perfect in the state of nature, and yet it's society that corrupts them. That is essentially the thesis statement of the Democratic Party and of the left. You are not the problem. Your desires, your impulses are not the problem. It's society that's the problem. Society is oppressing you if they are telling you that you cannot live your truth. But what they don't understand and what they don't tell people my age, and it is so detrimental, is that there is no such thing as your truth or my truth. There is the truth. There are standards that are unchanging that we all have to live by. And I really just wonder, I wonder what this is doing to people who are young. Of course, we can see what it's doing to people who are my age. Many, of, many people my age are unhappy. We are the most depressed and medicated generation. But for people who are five and six years old and they are learning in school Literally, that it is fat phobic when someone tells you to eat healthy. That it is heteronormative when you see a straight couple on the television. What is that doing to the minds of young children? Seriously, what are they going to be like in 10 years? 
we are born with a blank slate. And what we are doing to our children now is that we are filling this blank slate with utter garbage. How are people one day when they are in leadership positions, or God forbid, when they experience hardships in life, what kind of infrastructure do they have to react to that appropriately if all they are being told is that life is about living your truth? I shudder to think about the consequences. But again, I promise you, Dennis did not tell me to say this, but reading his Bible commentary and bringing back religion, the idea that we do have bad impulses that we can control, that is our panacea during these times. I'm Julie Hartman. We'll be back. This is The Dennis Prager Show. The Dennis Prager Show. Illegal drug trafficking has turned our southern border into a war zone, a war that no one wants to talk about. So that's why I urge you to see Border Battle, the new six-part limited documentary series from Turning Point USA that exposes the sheer evil and inhumanity of drug cartels and the illegal drug trade. How the drug fentanyl, the cartel Jalisco New Generation, and the Sinaloa Cartel have created the worst overdose death crisis in American history. We've never seen this before in the history of our country. Hear directly from Drug and Border Patrol agents about the horrific conditions along the border and what life is really like on the front lines. Watch Border Battle now. Download the full six-part documentary series at SalemNow.com. Use the promo code Prager to get 20% off. That's SalemNow.com. Don't forget to use the promo code Prager for 20% off. Hello, everyone. Julie Hartman here. Welcome back to The Dennis Prager Show. One of the things that we conservatives have been reporting on a lot recently is the very sad fact that the medical profession has gone up in flames. The last time I guest hosted for Dennis, I had the brilliant Heather McDonald on. She wrote an article in the City Journal entitled The Corruption of Medicine, where she talked about the crazy crazy woke reforms that are happening across the board in medical schools and in the medical profession writ large. To give one of the many horrible examples, they've changed the MCAT now. They've changed a quarter of the question specifically on the MCAT to not be about medicine or about science, but to be about social issues because supposedly that is equitable. Another thing that she reported is that UPenn Medical School is guaranteeing admissions to black applic- uh, applicants excuse me, who maintain a 3.6 GPA in college, who can score 1,300 out of 1,600 minimum of, on the SAT, and who have two summers of internships. They do not have to, to take the MCAT. As long as they ma- meet excuse me, those requirements, they gain admission to UPenn Medical School. So here's another story that fits into Heather McDonald's thesis that the medical profession is going up in flames. At University of Minnesota Medical School, let's just say that the students had a bit of a woke Hippocratic oath that they had to take upon their entry. Sean, let's play the clip. With gratitude, we, the students of the University of Minnesota Twin Cities Medical School class of 2026, stand here today among our friends, families, peers, mentors, and communities who have supported us in reaching this milestone. 
Our institution is located on Dakota land. Today, many indigenous people throughout the state, including Dakota and Ojibwe, call the Twin Cities home. We also recognize this acknowledgement is not enough. We commit to uprooting the legacy and perpetuation of structural violence deeply embedded within the healthcare system. We recognize inequities built by past and present traumas rooted in white supremacy, colonialism, the gender binary, ableism, and all forms of oppression. As we enter this profession with opportunity for growth, we commit to promoting a culture of anti-racism, listening and amplifying voices for positive change. We pledge to honor all indigenous ways of healing that have been historically marginalized by Western medicine. Knowing that health is intimately connected to our environment, we commit to healing our planet and communities. We vow to embrace our role as community members and strive to embody cultural humility. We promise to continue restoring trust in the medical system and fulfilling our responsibilities as educators and advocates. We commit to collaborating with social, political, and additional systems to advance health equity. We will learn from the scientific innovations made before us and All pledge right. to advance and share this they get knowledge it. with peers and neighbors. Look, I'm not going to waste your time by telling you how absurd this is. If you don't know how absurd this is, you should probably turn off the show and go listen to something else. But what I do want to point out to you, you know, I opened this hour by talking about how deadened we are as a culture. And there was a part of me that wondered, was that too much? Was that just too dreary to open the first hour of a national radio show with? But after playing this, my answer is no. It's realistic. This, above all else, proves how deadened we are. Did you hear that maudlin, defeatist, monotone, resuscitation that those students had. Honestly, that, it, that to me is more scary than the content of what they're reciting. It's the way that they were reciting it and the fact that they even were agreeing to recite it. We, the University of Minnesota Medical School students, pledge to allegiance to the woke flag. I mean, it's, it's so deadened. Is that from you, you, Minnesota? That's apparently from Life of Brian, uh, Monty Python. Sean, I'm 23 years old. Did you not hear that it was my birthday a few days ago? I have no... Okay, apparently it was a good drop for those of you who understand what Monty Python was. I have no idea what Monty Python is. Maybe... But... Again, what I'm trying to indicate to you here that this is very creepy. And this is actually a form of humiliation. I really believe them reciting this. It shows the power that this woke cabal has, that they can make you recite something that you don't believe. That is an act, again, of humiliation, and they are trying to show the power that they have over you. I'm going to go learn what Monty Python is. We'll be back. History repeats itself, and we're seeing that play out with inflation. When Jimmy Carter took office in the late 70s, gold sold for $140 an ounce. By 1980, the price of gold topped out at $870 an ounce. If today's market performs like it did when Carter was in office, the price of gold could skyrocket from $1,800 an ounce to $9,300 an ounce. 
This is Dennis Prager for AmFed Coin and Bullion. Don't miss out on a great opportunity to purchase precious metals while the prices are still stable. If history repeats itself, we'll see a run on gold, silver, and platinum that will certainly drive up prices. Be smart and buy now, as I am. At AmFed, you're dealing with specialists who provide you with personalized attention, honest information, and sound advice. You'll never be pressured into buying outrageously priced so-called collectible coins or anything that you don't need. Take advantage of today's prices. AmFed Coin and Bullion, 800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com. Hello, everyone. Julie Hartman here. In the last segment, I played for you a truly disturbing clip of University of Minnesota medical students reciting a woke Pledge of Allegiance about how they pledge that they will try to upend racism and colonialism and honor indigenous ways of healing. Honestly, I, I couldn't comprehend most of what they were saying. But I want to finish off on this commentary because there's something really important here that I want to highlight to you. I ended the last segment by saying that this was an act of humiliation. I tried to picture myself being one of those medical school students reading this garbage. And again, I realized if you look at that video and you look into the audience, I can bet you, I can promise you that 90% of those people reading that know that it is BS and yet they still read it and their maudlin tone, the way that they recited it shows that they don't really believe it. And I think that really is an act of coercion. It's an act from a powerful woke cabal of people at the top who are intentionally trying to humiliate you. They know that it's BS. They know that the people who are reciting the woke Pledge of Allegiance know that it's BS. And yet they are still making them do it to substantiate their own power. I love reading about history, as many of you know. In the third hour today, I'm going to be doing a history hour on Russia and China. But recently I was reading a book about the Vietnam War. And there was a fascinating story about this man named Jeremiah Denton. Some of you may have heard of him. I had never heard of him. He was a U.S. senator from Alabama, but he also served in the Vietnam War prior to serving in Congress. And he unfortunately was kidnapped and thrown into Vietnamese prison. And there was a video of him that the Vietnamese put out uh, where they made him recite a bunch of these, uh, I guess, lies that he was being treated well in prison, that he had adequate food and clothing. And what's so interesting about the video, again, I read this in a book and then I watched the video, is that he was blinking in the video in Morse code torture. He was trying to send a message to his fellow naval officers who were watching the video and seeing him in Vietnamese prison. So even though he was reciting what the Vietnamese were making him recite, he was blinking in Morse code torture. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that being a student at U Minnesota Medical School is comparable to being a prisoner of war during the time of the Vietnam War. But what I'm trying to highlight for you here is an element of coercion. Just in the same way that the Vietnamese made Jeremiah Denton recite something that he didn't believe in order to show their power over him, that again is what this woke cabal is trying to do. And I just want to encourage you all to be aware of that. 
look, I say all the time, I know what an extraordinarily privileged position I'm in to be able to do this job. I get paid to espouse my values. A lot of people, if they espouse their values, they would get fired from their jobs. They would get thrown off of their social media accounts. They would lose relationships with friends and family members. But there is so much humiliation and coercion nowadays that people are forced to just swallow in their schools and in the workforce. And I really want to encourage you to be aware of it and to try in any way possible, even in the slightest, smallest way to resist it. If you're that U or U Minnesota medical school student, maybe just stay silent and don't recite it. Or even better, don't attend the ceremony. Don't even lend your physical presence there. A, that's what's good for the country. We have to resist this in a small way to benefit our country. But B, just to preserve your own dignity. Don't let them exercise that amount of power over you. Okay, we're going to take a call. Let's go to Jacob from Wisconsin. Hello, Jacob. Thanks for calling hey, in. You're very welcome. How are you? I'm well, thanks. You sound like a very dignified and loyal and intelligent young woman. So well, thank you. That. Thank you very much. You're, You're very welcome. So what I wanted to say is, is that um, I'm 41 years old now, but uh, I've been all around the world in the service, uh, like 26, 27 different countries. And I was a police officer for a while, uh, about four years in a major U.S. city. And I think what people don't really realize is, is – uh, I even see this with my own family, like, you know, relatives. Um, if you're going to be so easily led astray um, by things like the news media, major news sources, things like that, I mean, it's to the point where, you know, if somebody on TV, on MSNBC or CNN says it, it's, it's the gospel, you know, to some people, right? And so to me, being overseas, even talking to my own relatives about things that I've seen, whether it's in police work or the military, I could have evidence i can have a, you know a, a detailed story of things i saw you know that i know with my own eyes are true and they won't believe it right so and so what i'm saying is like a lot of when you talk about the deadening of society the deadening of people's you know uh you know maybe like values and morals and the way they think too and um now people like this lizzo that are you know uh promoting this obesity and all that stuff well it was years ago when i went into the, into the police force there was guys that I was in my 30s, and there's guys in their 20s that can't even do five push-ups. You know, this whole um, Xbox and Mountain Dew brigade of this new wave, you know, form of men, I guess you could say. It's, you know, I just hope we never come to armed conflict in this country. You know, yes. we, we know there's certain things that are happening with our government that are tyrannical, right? But if we, if people see these things and they don't, what they see in the news is the truth, and then again. You know, they just believe all this stuff. Well, Coca-Cola, fatty right. foods, all these things. I saw little kids in the Marshall Islands that were three years old that could barely hold a can. Jacob, just for the sake of time, I'm sorry I have to cut you off. But I really do take your point that right now people are so influenced. It seems sort of an insurmountable problem because people are so influenced and so deadened by this woke culture. My response to you and to everyone listening it really is kind of my credo of life. The most powerful and lasting thing that you can give to a person isn't money, isn't opportunities. It's the power of your example. 
That is the one thing that gets me through these times. If you set a good example of someone who is rational, of someone who resists this stuff, people will notice. That is our one small way that we can combat this. We'll be back. Most of us know that being online means that everything we do is under constant surveillance, whether it's big tech companies creating detailed profiles of our personal lives or government agencies scanning our emails even when we haven't done anything wrong. Our privacy has never been more at risk. How can we make sure our personal information stays private? The first thing is to switch to a secure email service such as StartMail, which keeps emails safe. Every email can be encrypted or protected with a password, which means no one can read, scan, or sell your private information without your consent. When you delete an email, it's gone forever. Another thing I like about StartMail is that you can generate unlimited disposable email addresses so I never have to give out my real email anymore. Switching to StartMail is simple. Your emails and contacts are transferred in a few clicks. Sign up with StartMail today and you'll get 50% off your first year. Go to startmail.com slash Prager. Dear friends, here is Julie Hartman. Julie Hartman was dropped into my life by either God or angels. Probably God, but angels will do. This is a true gift in my life, a gift in your life, a gift in America's life. I don't want to get too enthused. It'll sound like I'm exaggerating, but I am not. In fact, we do a great podcast together called Dennis and Julie every week for almost an hour and a half every week talking about everything in life 50 year difference and it melts away enjoy Julie my welcome back to the Dennis Prager show everyone hour two it flies by yes as Dennis just said I am Julie Hartman I'm 23 years old and I'm very happy to be guest hosting today You know, President Biden has been in the news a lot recently, and not for things that he should be in the news for, like running our country correctly, but he's been in the news for the really astounding litany of lies that he's been telling. Of course, we all know that President Biden is no stranger to deception, but it seems like even in the past week or two weeks, there's been an extraordinarily high uptick in them. I want to play some of them for you. First, he said that he was sort of raised in the Puerto Rican community of Delaware. Let's roll that clip. We have a very, in relative terms, large Puerto Rican population in Delaware, relative to our population. We have the eighth largest black population in the country, and between all minorities, we have 20% of our state is minority. And so I... uh, I uh, was sort of raised uh, in the Puerto Rican community at home, politically. Well, someone dug up how many Puerto Ricans were living in Delaware at the time that Biden grew up, and the number was 2,000, which amounts to a staggering 0.39% of the population. Okay, 0.39%. 
people really, it's not just that President Biden isn't telling the truth. The mainstream media isn't telling the truth. There are two things going on here. Either he is just blatantly lying to us, which they should call out, or number two, and I mean this in the least disrespectful way possible, he has dementia and he truly believes that he grew up in the Puerto Rican community. But either way, not only is President Biden not telling the truth, but the people who comment on this are not telling the truth. Another Biden lie that we heard recently was a particularly cringeworthy 60 Minutes interview where he was asked about inflation. Mr. President, as you know, last Tuesday, the annual inflation rate came in at 8.3%. The stock market nosedived. People are shocked by their grocery bills. What can you do better and faster? Well, first of all, let's put this in perspective. Inflation rate month to month was just uh, 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 just an inch, hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it is good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not you. I, I can make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2 percent. It's been the highest inflation rate, Mr. President, in 40 years. I got that. But guess- well, first of all, that's a lie. It wasn't just 8.2 or 8.3. Inflation was half that amount under the time of Trump, half that amount. And now it is staggering. Why can't he just admit it? Why can't he just say, yes, that is true? Why does he have to make up a lie? Then, of course, there was the whole Hunter Biden scandal, which has now come out every day in the news that Hunter Biden is under investigation for his dealings with China and for serving on the board of a corrupt Ukrainian oil company. He got a million dollars a year for serving on the board of that company. And there are photos that have surfaced of President Biden in 2015 at Cafe Milano, a restaurant in Washington, D.C., sharing drinks and dinner with Ukrainian businessmen. I believe there are also Kazakh businessmen there and, and also another Chinese businessman. And when President Biden was asked during a presidential debate if he knew anything about his son's business dealings, he denied it. And then when he was further pressed about Hunter Biden, he denied that he got a wire transfer from the mayor of Moscow's wife. Let's play the clip. China ate your lunch, Joe. And no wonder your son goes in and he takes out he takes out billions of dollars, takes out billions of dollars to manage. He makes millions of dollars. And also, while we're at it, why is it, just out of curiosity, the mayor of Moscow's wife gave your son three and a half million dollars. What did he do to deserve it? What did he do with Barista to deserve $183,000? None of that is true. None of that is true. Oh, really? He didn't give three and a half million? Mr. President, President, please. Totally discredited. Totally discredited. And by the way, well, wait, he didn't get three and a half million dollars, Joe? Totally untrue, he says. It is not totally untrue. It is a fact that Hunter Biden got a $3.5 million wire transfer from the mayor of Moscow's wife. And yet we live in a culture where if someone just says something isn't true, it's not true. Being your candidate. Well, we just heard a little bit of Hillary Clinton come onto the airwaves. Hey, you know what, Sean? Play that clip. This actually goes along very nicely. We hear lies not just from President Biden, but also we hear lies from the mainstream media that Republicans challenging the results of the 2020 election is unprecedented in presidential history. 
Let's see if that's true. Being your candidate has been one of the greatest honors of my life. No surprise, three years after the historic election of 2016, she's still grappling with defeat. How are you doing now, and what are the metrics by which you know how you're doing Mm -hmm. on any given day? Personally, I'm doing well, and having my grandchildren, and especially a new two-month-old grandson, has been a gift beyond measure. I feel very blessed. I feel good. But I can't deny that a big part of me cares deeply about what's happening in the country and what I fear is the damage that's being done to our future, the damage being done to our values, our institutions, and try to think of ways that I can help those who are on the front lines of the fight. Well, later in this clip, she talks about how she believes that the election was stolen, which is something that she has said many times. So it's very interesting that she says that she feels that our, our values and our institutions are under attack when she hired a law firm to hire a British sp- spy, Christopher Steele, to find, find, of course, in blinking quotation marks, damning information on President Trump colluding with Russia, which, of course, was totally debunked in the Mueller report. I'm trying to play for you all of these lies to show you what an avalanche of deception that is thrown at us every single day. I mentioned in the first hour that we really have become deadened as a culture. And I said that one of the ways that we've become deadened is that we have lost the ability to react appropriately when stuff like this happens. President Biden says that he was born in the Puerto Rican community or denies that his son had a particular business dealing or denies that inflation exists or makes up a lie, as we saw a few days ago, that he was two firefighters almost died in a house fire decades ago when we know from the reports at the time that that house fire was relatively benign. There is just constant deception And yet when I go around and I ask people my age, as I often do, what do you think about all of this? Can you believe all of all of this deception every single day? They just kind of shrug their shoulders and they go, well, that's how it is nowadays. And I think part of this is intentional. I think part of the reason why they lie to us so much is because they know that it is grinding us down with every single lie that is being thrown at us. We lose the ability to see it. We lose the ability to condemn it. We become jaded. And we do not understand how damaging even a single lie is, a single lie about your upbringing, a single lie about a house fire 40 years ago. Because we have been the beneficiaries of a country that has valued truth so much that we don't understand the power of lies. I can promise you that people who have lived under the Soviet Union can tell you that the power of lies is extraordinary, big and small. And once we start letting these small lies add up and we don't hold people accountable for these lies, then even bigger amounts of deception like the one that Hillary Clinton peddled in 2016 about Russian collusion, become mainstream. And so in everyday life, we need to call this out. We need to be more aware of it. We cannot get jaded anymore by these small things. They seem like small things. They seem like things that you just see in the New York Post or they see on your social media feed. Ha ha, there Biden goes again. But it's really damaging. 
The last segment, I was talking to you about the outrageous lies that we hear from many people in power nowadays, big and small, ranging from a fire that happened 40 years ago in our current president's home to a foreign adversary potentially meddling in one of our elections. But nevertheless, a lie big and small is still a lie. And I also want to point out to you that as much as we see these lies of commission, these active lies, we see an equal amount of lies of omission, which are just as insidious. One of the biggest lies of omission that I see today, it is the biggest news story in the United States, and yet it never, almost never, gets reported by the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC. That is, of course, the fentanyl crisis. I was reading yesterday that 300 Americans a week die of fentanyl. That's 300 Americans a week. That is the equivalent of a 757 plane crashing every single week. Don't you think that's news? Why aren't we talking about that? I looked at the cover of the New York Times for the past two weeks, and you know in the corner they have this saying that they've been printing for 200 years, all the news that is fit to print. And yet, they barely, if ever, the reason why I use the word never is because I have never, seriously, I've never seen it myself. They barely, if ever, report on the fentanyl crisis. Don't you think that falls into the category of news that is fit to print? If we have as many Americans dying of fentanyl a week as if a 757 plane crashed every week or if a 9-11-like event happened every 10 weeks? That is the proportion that I want you to keep in mind. That is how bad and dangerous of a threat this is. You know, the state of Montana, which is our nor- one of our northernmost states, it borders Canada, of course, the attorney general of Montana said that the biggest problem in the state is fentanyl. And it shows you the reach of this. This is not just a southern state problem. This is reaching every single part of American society. And it really it made me think how morally upside down we are. Two years ago, a career criminal, George Floyd, is killed by a police officer. And by the way, I'm not saying that he deserved to die that day. That was a terrible, terrible event. But a career, a career criminal dies, and the country goes up in flames. Millions and millions, I think there are estimates that 26 million Americans protested for BLM that summer. There were riots and looting. 25 people died because of the rioting. Businesses changed their ways of operating Hundreds of millions of dollars were donated to Black Lives Matter. Laws were changed. We see in New York City that that there's no cash bail. That is a result of the summer of 2020. This idea that we have a carceral state, that we have to uproot systemic racism in the police force and in the prison system. My point is when one person died, and again, I'm not saying that that person deserved to die, but when one person died, The country radically changed, and they were outraged. And yet 300 Americans are dying every single week, and there's a yawn. Why is that? And the thing that is really, 
really upsetting is, you know, the people at the New York Times know that there's a fentanyl crisis. The people in the White House know that there's a fentanyl crisis. Have, have any of us ever heard President Biden or Vice President Kamala Harris or Nancy Pelosi or any of the Democrats talk about fentanyl? The reason why they're not talking about it is because they know that their policies are responsible for this. And I think an even greater reason why they're not talking about this is because I think there's a part of them that wants to see America become a really decrepit place. And maybe that sounds like too harsh of a statement. Please call in if you disagree with me. I'd be very eager to hear your thoughts. 1-8-Prager-776. But if you look at what they allowed during the summer of BLM, which I just mentioned, the utter destruction. There were more people killed during the summer of BLM than there are unarmed blacks on average killed a year by police. Businesses were destroyed. Families were ripped apart. And the Democrats did nothing about it. Now, why? Why is that? Again, I think that they wanted that to happen. They wanted to see the country go to waste. They want the country to become the chaotic, systemically racist, terrible place that they claim it is. And it's the same thing with fentanyl. Why are they not talking about fentanyl? No one would deny that it is one of our biggest problems. It is the number one cause of death for people ages 18 to 45. Why are we not declaring a national emergency about that? And again, it's because I do think, and I'm sorry to say it, that there is a malignant part of them that wants to see this country fall down, that wants to see everyday people suffer. Because they don't like everyday people because they can't control everyday people. They want to create a country that is so decrepit and so awful that they can position themselves as the saviors and they can keep their stranglehold on power to control us. 1-8-Prager-776, please call if you disagree with me. You know, all of this in its entirety, as I said, it's not just a war on everyday people. It's a war on American culture. It's a war on God-fearing, law-abiding, tax-paying American culture. And another thing that people don't talk about at all with this fentanyl crisis is the role that China is playing. This is an act of warfare on behalf of China. China is producing this fentanyl, and they are selling it to the Mexican drug cartels who are pushing it across our border and killing everyday Americans. And I hate to say it because it is one of the most devastating things, but it is actually a brilliant move on the part of China. This is the way that they are creeping in and committing warfare against us by literally killing us in a way that is more subtle and not as noticeable and not as overt as outright nuclear or on-the-ground warfare. But nevertheless, it is warfare. And again, people don't like to talk about this because our administration has not stood up to China. We have to stand up to China. We have to stand up against this fentanyl crisis. But there is a cowardice, and again, there's a malignant sense of wanting to see this country go down. Thank God there are many of us conservatives who don't want to see the country go down, and many liberals too who don't. 
But the problem is we need more everyday people to stand up. We are the majority who doesn't want to see this country go. But what we are allowing to happen is a very small, powerful cabal of people to take over and allow it to go down. I hope to encourage you all to stand up because literally our lives depend on it. I'll be back. I'm Julie Hartman. The Dennis Prager Show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Dennis Prager Show. This is hour two of the show when I'm talking about the power and presence of lives in our daily life today in America. We have a caller, David, from Los Angeles. It looks like he may have a qualm with me, so I'm very eager to talk with you. Hi, David. Thanks for calling. Hi. I noticed in all your talking about lies big and small, you didn't bring up Trump's lie about the election being stolen, which has been disproven time and time again, recount after recount, lawsuit after lawsuit, and yet now people are running on it. Trump is still spouting off about it, and it's still kind of crippling our election system. You know, I'm really glad that so you... I thought that was a kind of glaring omission. Well, thank you for calling about that. I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I actually wanted to talk about this idea that the Trump or the election being stolen is a big lie. I would half agree with you and half disagree with you. I read this book by Molly Hemingway called Rigged, and it really changed the way that I thought of the 2020 election. Now, one of the things that Molly Hemingway writes is that Trump and his attorney, Rudy Giuliani, way, way over-exaggerated the amount of voter fraud and also just pointed to really bad, unsubstantiated examples of improprieties when actually there were a lot of things that happened in the 2020 election that were really not kosher. One of them being that Mark Zuckerberg donated $450 million to privatize election procedures. Now, David, if you're still on the line, I want to ask you, do you think that that constitutes rigging an election, having a a tech tycoon donate $400 million to privatize election procedures? But, ma'am, that's not the topic at hand. The topic at hand is he said the election was stolen and he said there was voter fraud. That is a blatant lie that has been proven false over and over again. So, I mean, to say they blew it out of proportion, that's nothing compared to what they actually did and continue to do. You can deflect to Zuckerberg, but the topic at hand is the lie that the election was stolen. No, it's it's really not. David, with all due respect, I'm not trying to deflect. Look, I think that Trump, I'm agreeing with you partially. I think that Trump way over-exaggerated, and at times did lie about what happened in the 2020 election. I am not, wait, please let me finish. I am not saying that I affirmatively know that the election was stolen. I don't. However, I cannot ignore the the reason why I say I partially agree with Trump. What Trump should have said is the election was severely rigged. And I point to that Zuckerberg donating $450 million to privatize election procedures, that to me constitutes rigging an election. Another example is how, is how, I'll let you talk, just let me say this one thing. I'm sorry, forgive me, David. I really do want to hear your response. But this is, this other thing I'm saying is important. Twitter and Facebook suppressed the Hunter Biden story. 
They completely took it off of the Internet. In fact, the New York Post, who broke the story, their account was suspended on Twitter. Again, I want to ask you, I agree with you that it was too far to say the election was stolen. But now I'm asking you, do you agree that these examples that I just brought up are evidence that the election was rigged? Or that there were severe improprieties? Do you acknowledge that those are severe improprieties? That's a different topic altogether. I know, but I'm bringing up this topic, David. David, with all due... David, I would like to... Forgive me, I want you to answer this question because I... I'm agreeing. I answered your question. Now I'd like you to answer mine. Do you acknowledge that those are severe improprieties to have a, a damning story about the president's son who has ties to our foreign adversaries and had corrupt dealings with our foreign adversaries to have that story suppressed before the election? Do you agree that that's an impropriety? Do you condemn no. that? The president's son wasn't running for president. But right, but, the, but President Biden had dealings with these people, too according to the Hunter Biden laptop story. There's massive financial, uh, not fraud, but shenanigans in our election system. So if you want to talk about Mark Zuckerberg, we should talk about all of the dark and shady money that floods into With all due respect, David, there has never been anything, there has never been anything comparable to what Mark Zuckerberg did in the 2020 election. I am not saying that the election... Was it Was it legal? No, of course it wasn't legal. How is it? How where is, is it allowed? How is it allowed to be where's legal? The, what they all, did? All the investigations and lawsuits into that. Well, I, I have the same question for you. They have conveniently not happened. I would love for there so to be investigation into that. The, into the that. reason why it was allowed to happen is because they snuck it in through COVID procedures. Mark Zuckerberg said that he was donating this money to help mail-in balloting because of the harm of COVID. But instead, it was given to Democratic nonprofits to count the ballots. Do you recognize that that is an impropriety? We have 10 seconds. If it was that egregious, where's all the Republican-led investigations into it? In Republican, trust me, we're we're talking about it. We'll be back. Thank you for your call, David. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. I'm Julie Hartman. I just had a phone call with a gentleman named David from Los Angeles. I want to thank David for calling. I really enjoy having conversations like the one we just had. If you didn't hear it, you should go back and listen to a recording of it. So we were, what David raised to me is, you know, I started off this hour talking about the prevalence of lies and um, Hillary Clinton in 2016 pushing the Russian collusion hoax and saying that the election was stolen from her, President Biden lying about growing up in a Puerto Rican community, about a house fire, about the lack of inflation. And he said to me, well, why aren't you bringing up the big lie that the 2020 election was stolen? And my response to him was that I do think that Trump really did not handle that well. He, what he should have done is pointed out the vast amount of proven improprieties that happened in the 2020 election, such as what I just mentioned to David, $400 million, $450 million that Mark Zuckerberg donated to privatize election procedures, the Hunter Biden story being, being suppressed by big tech in the mainstream media, and also the fact that Democrats blocked Republicans from viewing the counting of ballots in Michigan and Pennsylvania. Those are severe improprieties, which really do indicate that the, erec- that the election was at the very least rigged. And what I wish I had said to David, and David, I hope you're listening to this, what I wish I had said to you is that, look, 
there is no doubt that President Trump has lied throughout his presidency. And even at times he lied about the 2020 election. Again, I don't think he was lying about how overall there were some really severe wrongdoings, but he pointed out evidence that didn't have a lot of backing when he should have just honestly talked about what Molly Hemingway brilliantly reported in her book, Rigged. But the difference is that when President Trump has lied, God knows he has been called out for it. I remember when he said that he had one of the biggest crowds at his 2016 inauguration or his 2017 inauguration, excuse me, the mainstream media for days was trying to discount him. Whenever President Trump would say a falsehood, he would be held accountable for it. And you know what? He should be. But the, but the disparity that I want to point out is that when the Democrats lie, which they do every single day, again, about issues big and small, every single day, there is a yawn from the mainstream media. There is a yawn from Democratic supporters. I will fully acknowledge when my side lies. I will fully acknowledge when my side is wrong. And why are we not say, seeing the same accountability? Why is it not on the cover of these newspapers that President Biden denied in the 60 Minutes interview the severity of inflation? That is what I am trying to point out. And so, David, I hope that you hear that. And again, thank you for calling. And any of you, please call if you disagree with me. I love calls where people disagree with me. One eight Prager 776. I want to move on to a story that has been in the news. And, you know, I got to tell you, when I guest host, sometimes I feel like every single segment, I'm telling you really bad news. And unfortunately, that is true. But this is really important stuff that needs to be on our radar. On March 17th, 2023, Canada will roll out a law that allows doctors to provide assisted suicide to the psychiatrically ill. That's right. If you have a mental illness in Canada and you meet certain criteria, I'll tell you what those criteria are. They're very, they're, they're really not very thorough. You can have a doctor help you in assisted suicide. Now, this medically assisted suicide first became legal in Canada in 2016, and first it was reserved for those who had terminal cancer. And then in 2021, they amended the law to include non-terminal physical conditions such as chronic pain. Okay, so that's, I mean, first of all, you can question, I happen to think that no uh, medically assisted suicide should be allowed for this very reason, because it starts off with something that may seem under circumstances, certain circumstances, justifiable, like a terminal cancer. And then, you know, they allow more leeway. And then all of a sudden it extends to people who have chronic pain or other illnesses. And then now it's people who have any kind of mental illness who can get medically assisted suicide. Now, as I mentioned, there are certain criteria that I have to tell you about. First of all, there need to be two doctors that sign off on it. The, Ill, the uh, patient, excuse me, needs to prove that he or she has an illness that cannot be cured or remediated. And the patient also has to be found to be, quote unquote, competent to make the decision to end their own life. Now, the thing that confused me when I was reading this story is if the person has to be competent enough 
to determine whether or not they will allow a medically assisted suicide, doesn't that indicate that they have enough mental wherewithal, perhaps, to be on the road to recovery? In other words, isn't not all lost? It is really, really upsetting. It, actually, upsetting is an egregious understatement. We, we are tumbling back into heathenism and savagery. I mean, is this really the 21st century? And a Western country is, a, is basically making it possible for almost anyone to get medically assisted suicide if they say that they have a mental illness that is incurable? What has happened to the value of human life? You know, this story made me think about something that I confronted so much in college where I would get a so what question. When I would talk about, for instance, how many schools are adopting radical gender codes that are teaching young kids about transgenderism and about sexual fluidity and how there are no genders, I would bring that up to my friends and I would go, isn't this this harmful? And they would go, well, so what? Why can't we just, you know, what's the harm? Why can't we just let people make their own decisions? So what? It's the same thing. The so what question is what has gotten us to the point now where Canada is allowing this horribly liberal, assisted, medically assisted suicide. So what? If it's their truth, if they want to do it, they should be allowed to do it. We need to have standards. We cannot just let people do what they want because then this will happen. I'll be back. Welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. I'm Julie Hartman. Let's take a call from Pastor Larry in Chicago. Hi, Pastor Larry in Chicago. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Thank you for calling. Thank you for taking my call. Um, first of all, let me, um, I want to commend um, Dennis Prager um, when he was interviewed on the Young Turks. Oh, yes. He represented quite well. I was very impressed. And um, I was sharing with your, um, uh, you know, the person that, 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 that took my question um, that I am um, three years uh, a conservative, having been uh, a Democrat um, for most of my life and um, all of my life. And um, I'm 68 years old now. Um, I was I had conservative views as a Democrat when it came to pro-life and uh, and marriage and all of that. And it wasn't just based on a religious uh, standpoint, which which had weighed heavily, but also just from a human standpoint, just logically, these things didn't make sense. Pastor Larry, I'm sorry, we're running out of time. I see that you right here that you are now disappointed. Can you just quickly tell me why? Again, I'm so sorry to rush you. I'm disappointed because this um, you you acknowledge the lie. Larry, Um, Pastor Larry, I'm so sorry. I will pick you up at the beginning of the next hour. Thank you for calling. I'm sorry that I have to cut this short. We'll be back. Hartman was 
dropped into my life by either God or angels. Probably God, but angels will do. This is a true gift in my life, a gift in your life, a gift in America's life. I don't want to get too enthused. It'll sound like I'm exaggerating, but I am not. In fact, we do a great podcast together called Dennis and Julie every week for almost an hour and a half every week talking about everything in life. 50-year difference, and it melts away. Enjoy, Julie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Dennis Prager Show. I'm Julie Hartman, 23 years old, recent college graduate, and I'm working for the Salem Media Network as an on-air host. It's a dream job, and I am very happy to be with you today. Thank you for listening. Now, those of you who have listened to me before know that I am a self-proclaimed history nerd. I love history because I believe that history holds all of our answers. And I'm going to do this hour on a difference between Russia and China. I want to compare our two principal adversaries and talk about why I believe one of those countries is ascending on the world stage and one of them is descending on the world stage. But first, I made a promise and I'm the kind of girl that keeps her promises. The last segment of last hour, we had Pastor Larry from Chicago call in and I had to abruptly cut him off for commercial break. I'm sorry, it's kind of the name of the game here, Pastor Larry, but I want to give you the time to speak. Thank you for holding on. Okay, and I'm going to make it very quick. Thanks. I appreciate you um, uh, uh, with your acknowledgement of the president's lies. As I stated really quickly before, I'm, I'm, I'm a new conservative, only of three years, but when you acknowledge the fact that the president lied uh, on some things concerning the, the, the election and the whole the, uh, discussion around trusting in the election process, if it's tainted with lies that we can all know that happened, those lies do not, uh, um, when they're not acknowledged by the person that, that, that made the lie or told the lie, then, then the lie continues even though you and I know that it happened. And a lot of candidates right now that's running for office, they're running on a lie. And so if they're running on a lie that we know is a lie, then that, for me, it, it, it takes my trust out of the political process if those that are responsible for it. And, and, and honestly, and I'm done with this, if it wasn't for the lie, many of the candidates that's running right now would have nothing to run on. And I want to leave it at that. So, Pastor Larry, I just want to confirm, are you talking about conservatives? Because here I see that you say that you're disappointed, that for those listeners who are confused on the call screen, that there's a little bit of a synopsis. And it says that you're yeah. a newly conservative who's disappointed. Are you disappointed, disappointed in the Republicans specifically? I'm disappointed in the party and how the party's responding to the very thing we're talking about, running and, 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 and making our argument. And, and, and continuing dialogue that's based, some of it, a lot of it based on lies, and it's spreading. You know, there's a saying in the Bible and, that a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. And that's what it seems to be to me like right now in the Republican Party. I had great respect when I came over, but now because I, I try to be a man of morals and I teach my children not to lie, and I teach my children not to follow people that tell lies. So you're I'm talking about saying, the election. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just really want to confirm. You're talking about the specifically the, the yeah, big lie, quote-unquote, about the 2020 election. Exactly. And, and the elections that are taking place now that are basing their platforms on that, on that lie that the, it was stolen. 
and the exaggeration, as that's where you put the exact. It was exaggerated by 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 the president and Giuliani. But everybody, so many, most all of the the candidates now that are running for office, they're that they're they're basing uh, on a large part their candidacy and, and and the office that they're running for because they say the, the the election was stolen. When the fact, I'm still waiting on absolute proof. That's all I need. I'm still waiting on absolute truth. Well, Pastor Larry, I I just want to cut in, and I'm I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but just for the sake of time, I want to cut in. Look, I would love absolute proof, too, either way, because I want to put this all to rest. But the problem is, unless we go back and recount every single vote and do it in a way that we can confirm is completely legitimate, we are not going to have absolute proof. And so... Where I may disagree with you is, although, as I said in the last hour, I do think that Trump mishandled talking about the 2020 election. He focused on evidence that didn't have a lot of backing. He over-exaggerated on some things. I don't think his underlying point about the impropriety uh, improprieties, excuse me, in the election was wrong. And the people who are running today, which the left calls election deniers, to my knowledge, are trying to talk about these improprieties. I mentioned Mark Zuckerberg donating $450 million to privatize election campaigns. I talked about the role that big tech plays in suppressing um, uh, stories like the Hunter Biden story. I'm also talking about how many of the Democrats in the 2020 election preventing Republic prevented Republicans from watching ballot counting. Many cities also are trying and have successfully gotten rid of signature requirements on ballots. There's this whole push by the left that's trying to get rid of voter ID because supposedly voter ID is racist. So I would just humbly ask you to reconsider. I don't think a lot of these people writ large are lying. Perhaps there are things that they say that are exaggerated, and perhaps some of them are indeed lying. But the overall point that the that the way that we have run our elections in 2020 is really damaging and wrong, I don't think that that is incorrect. And I would just ask you to reconsider that. I, I would reconsider it, but when we have people that are close to the president that says that the president uh, from the beginning was not going to accept the, uh, the, 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 the results even before the election started, and wanted and and and, de- and declared victory even before the, the 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 majority of the votes were counted. Again, that stands to to me for a lie. And I just believe, uh, I, you know, I want to follow and be a part of a group that. And, and I know nothing's going to be perfect. Don't get me wrong. I know that. Right. You know, I, I, I know that. That's why I left the other party um, just for something I thought would be better. But I'm I'm, I'm you know, there's lying on that side and there's lying on this side. Uh, I'm just I'm just concerned about the future of our country and the future of what has has made us a great country. And and I just don't think we can ever be a great country uh, if we lie. Well, I I totally agree. And that was that was the the theme of the last hour. Thank you for calling, Pastor Larry. I really appreciate it. And God bless you. Okay, before we move on from this, I do want to say, look, I am not particularly enthralled with many elements of the Republican Party right now. Pastor Larry is totally right that both sides lie. However, if I had to do a tally and if I had to look at the amount of lies being espoused, I would say that overwhelmingly it's coming from one side. 
I spoke in the first hour, I wish I had spent more time on it, of not just the way that individuals lie, but how so much of the policies that are peddled by the left in it of themselves are lies. I talked about climate change, for instance. I talked about how California and New York have passed laws that are going to completely get rid of the selling of gas-powered vehicles by 2035. California is trying to actually successfully implement it, getting rid of gas-powered water heaters by 2035. I'm not saying that climate change itself is a lie. Certainly climate change is real. But the fact that it poses an existential threat to our country that requires such draconian change, that is a lie. Another lie is that the police are systemically racist. And we see the way... The policy has been changed as a result of that. Now there is no cash bail in New York City. All of the major cities' police departments were defunded. My point is, again, I'm not trying to condone the lies on the left or the right. Each of them should be held accountable. But when I go to my ballot, I am voting against a party, i.e. the Democratic Party, that I believe every single day is basing their policy positions on mythologies and lies. As Tom Sowell says, he's one of my greatest heroes, there are no solutions in life, there are just trade-offs. When I go to vote, I may not be particularly enthralled with the Republican candidate that I see on the ballot, but there is no way that I am going to vote for the Democratic Party, which again, in itself, is comprised of deception. Almost every single position they take in it Baked within it is deception. Well, we are almost done with the first segment, but I do want to remind you to stick around for this next hour because I'm going to be talking about China and Russia doing a history hour. They are two principal adversaries, and it is stunning to see the difference between them, especially in the past 40 to 50 years, how one has been on a steady ascent and one has been on a steady descent. More on that when we come back. I'm Julie Hartman. The Dennis Prager Show. Julie Hartman here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Hour 3 of The Dennis Prager Show. All right, everyone. I am on to my history hour. I love history. I was a history major in college. All I do with my time is read history books. In the first hour, Sean played a clip from Monty Python that I believe was intended to make me laugh. And I said that I had no idea what Monty Python was because I don't watch television. I just read history books. And I was thinking today for my history hour that I want to talk about Russia and China. Obviously, these two countries, as our principal adversaries, have been in the news a lot lately. I don't have to tell you that Russia has invaded Ukraine, and that has caused us to have Russia more on our radar than ever before. And the cover of the Wall Street Journal just this morning had Xi Jinping, the leader of the CCP, or the Chinese Communist Party, who delivered a speech to the Communist Party about his plans for the country. And I thought, you know what? As these countries are in the news all of the time, we really have to understand them better. And it is astounding how little most of us know about their history. And as I teased in the last segment, I believe that one of these countries, namely China, has been steadily in ascent over the past 40 years. And Russia has been steadily in descent if you look at China, I mean, pick up anything in your house and you will see under it a label that says made in China. 
China is an economic powerhouse nowadays, and they are creating a populace that is incredibly technically educated, and they have really become a source of fear for us in the United States. Russia, on the other hand, of course, is a source of fear for us, but unlike China, it really hasn't, I'm sorry to say this in such crude terms, accomplished very much over the past 40 years. Russia is mainly an extraction economy. It um, sells oil and gas, but it hasn't grown into an economic powerhouse that China has grown into. It's not really seen or respected in what it's done as a country by the rest of the world in the same way that China has. And I want to talk about why that is. Why has it come to be that China has unfortunately positioned itself so well on the world stage and Russia has not? It may seem that Russia has because it's invaded Ukraine and it's exerted a lot of military power. But as most of us know from reading the news, Russia is really got its is in over its head in that war. It's accumulating a lot of losses and it's not going as well as they thought it would go. I really trace this difference back to the 1970s because the 1970s is when it became apparent in both of these countries that the communist central planning model, the, the way that they organized their economies was not working. And both countries experienced a turning point, but the leadership of China seemed to grasp this and respond to it with a shrewdness and flexibility that the leadership of Russia did not. And the first way that I believe that China did this in comparison to Russia is that China focused on making itself a robust economic power, whereas Russia focused overwhelmingly on making itself a military power. Now, if you look at the latter half of the 20th century, Russia got itself into a lot of foreign entanglements that were incredibly costly to them. Of course, they propped up many of Eastern European satellite countries during the Cold War in order to keep communism alive there. They supported Vietnam during the Vietnam War and the communist uprising in Cuba. And of course, at the end of the 1970s, they invaded Afghanistan, which turned out to be one of the most long and costly and deadly wars that really came up dry for the Russians. I think that during the time of the Soviet Union, Russians really got the sense that they had a sense of domination and fear. The rest of the world really did fear them, of course, because of the fear of nuclear weaponry and, the, again, the Cold War that we were entangled into, the battle over communism and capitalism. And the Soviet Union really focused on trying to bring their way of life, their military might, to other countries. China took the complete opposite route. With the exception of the Korean War, and with the exception of a very small and seemingly historically insignificant war in 1962 between India and China on the border, China has really stayed out of foreign entanglements. They have not deemed it advantageous enough to intervene in other countries. 
Frankly, I think that they were shrewd enough to see how that was working out for Russia and, frankly, how that was working out for us, the United States. We mustn't forget the amount of foreign entanglements that we've gotten into in the past few decades. Of course, Korea, Russia, Kuwait, Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan. And I can't say that that, any of those invasions have really done a lot for us. And I hate, I really do hate complimenting China, but I don't mean it so much as a compliment as a description that China in the 1970s, like Russia, realized that they had to change course. But unlike Russia, they realized that the best way to change course was to become an economic power rather than a military power. I'll talk about in the next segment the superb ways that they have allowed for free elements of free market exchange to come to their economy and how they have invested in the technical abilities of their populace. It is of the utmost importance to understand the trajectories of both of these countries, not just so that we can understand the threat that they may pose to us, but so that we can discern what lessons we have to learn from them. We'll be back. More on the History Hour on Russia and China. I'm Julie Hartman. The Dennis Prager Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Dennis Prager Show. I'm Julie Hartman. We are talking about history today, specifically Russia and China. And I am making the argument that China has been on a steady ascent in world politics, whereas Russia, contrary to popular belief, has been on a steady descent. Now, of course, I mentioned Russia has invaded Ukraine, which has given it a lot of power and has made us fear them. But if you look at the company, or uh, the company, the country outside of that decision, they really haven't done a lot in the past 40 years that has made them into a robust world power. I see that we have a call who disagrees with me. And I just would like to respectfully say to that caller, I would like to respectfully ask that caller, what is one accomplishment in the past 30 years that Russia can really point to in the same way that China can point to their astounding economic growth? Seriously, what is, what is one thing? Yes, Russia has invaded Ukraine. And yes, it has amassed some military power in some territory. Again, Russia is su- suffering huge losses in that war, and it remains to be seen how that will turn out. But besides that, do we ever hear of any new Russian inventions or any intellectuals or leaders that have really made a mark in the past 40 years? And I am trying to answer the question of why. Why there is so much of a disparity between Russia and China in this regard. In the previous segment, I talked about how China has shrewdly focused on economic power, whereas Russia has more so focused on military power. And I think the verdict is in that all of the foreign entanglements has only weakened Russia. It's really, first of all, financially weakened Russia, and it's weakened it on a world scale. Whereas China's focus on making itself into a great economic power has led to a massive expansion in industry. One of the other ways, in addition to China shrewdly not focusing on military powers, is that it has made their country very hospitable for Western businesses to come there. We all like to ignore the fact that a lot of our American companies, such as Apple and Nike, have factories in China. 
And the reason is that the CCP over the past 50 years, unlike Russia, has tried shrewdly to integrate elements of free market capitalism while still retaining their stronghold on power in their repression. It's very interesting that as China has become more economically democratic or liberal, that it hasn't become politically more democratic or liberal. But unfortunately, that is what has contributed to China's immense power. They treat Westerners very well. That is the reason why so many companies want to go there. The CCP honors contracts with with Western companies, and they make companies like Apple feel secure in their investments. The CCP has really embraced the idea of a global value chain. This is the idea that we should have manufacturing be broken up across national lines. You can have some products made in China, some made in the United States, and there are these supply chains. And China has shrewdly, again, seen that they can, if they allow their country to be a hospitable place for these industries, then their sectors will thrive because, of course, they get a cut when Western industries come and have factories in their country. Now, this has not been the same in Russia. Russia, over the past 40 or 50 years, in some ways, has allowed for free market exchange. As I mentioned, it's an extraction economy that sells oil and gas. But unlike China, it has not at all been hospitable to Western industry. And that is a reason why we don't see companies like Apple, companies like Nike, going and opening their factories up in Russia, because there's a history of astounding corruption in Russia. Of course, there's a history of astounding corruption in China. But again, the CCP is smart enough to not seize assets of Western companies that have factories there. There's an example of this American tycoon named Bill Browder, who brought his company to open factories in Russia. He made billions and billions of dollars, and Russia just one day seized his assets. Now, that was a not very smart move on the part of Russia, because now Western companies have gotten the idea that if they go to Russia, Russia will seize their assets. The Chinese have been too smart for that. This is the History Hour. We're comparing Russia and China. 1-8-Prager-776, I'd love to take your calls. If you agree or disagree with my assessments, it would be great to hear from you. We'll be back. I'm Julie Hartman. The Dennis Prager Show. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.